0: Beloved, if you have your Bible there this morning, let's turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. we am going to read from verse 1 down to verse 16. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So what is seen was made by things that are not visible. By faith Abel offered a offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead he still speaks through his faith. And by faith Enoch was taken away And so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those that seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned About what was not seen and motivated by godly fear built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham when he was called obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out. Even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in a land in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah Herself, when she was unable to have children, received the power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable As the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance. Greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place. A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed. To, to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. Amen. So beloved. is always looking back. Before we look forward. We remember that. Where we are. Always. This is a preacher. A uh, again, this is more a sermon than a letter, more the more a, a, a homily than a book. A pastor encouraging his people in a time of need, in a time when there is uncertainty and and an instability in the flock. The Jews are under the Jewish Christians are under tremendous. Persecution, stress, strain, pressure, internally, externally. Fear and worry and doubt are rampant within the congregation. People are more concerned about their earthly situation than their eternal situation. We know that there was pressure laid upon them to conform back to the ways of Judaism, to the traditions To the standard, to carry on as if Jesus had never happened, as if He had never come. To do the old washings. Remember that I told you before? They they had this system of washing in order to make themselves clean. They would would wash one arm, and then they would wash the other arm, and then they would wash the other arm again, and then they would take a basin and they would wash themselves. And they had to do that every single time they came in from the street, they would do it in the yard. To brush, to wash off the dust of the street to make sure that no dirty Gentile, no dirty unbeliever, dust, filth that would contaminate them and make them sinful. Remember the washing of the bowls. Remember all of these traditions that had made it what their, its way into their religion. The ceremonies that made you safe. And now, with the coming of Christ, those things had been put away for the most part, or at least among the believing Christians. They had gone back to the to the primitive, the primitive thing. That's not the word I meant. To the primitive form and fashion of faith that was sounded really good, didn't it? The primitive form and fashion of faith, where they they realized and recognized it was by faith and faith alone, and the works of Jesus Christ that a person. Was made righteous before God. Not by all these ceremonies. Not by all these rituals. But neither is a great intimidation. Years have passed. Now there is great pressure. Conform. Give up and go back. You can believe in Jesus. We recognize Jesus was great as well. But don't give up the other stuff. It's Jesus plus these things. And it's sad to say that there was a a moving back. There was a backsliding. One might even say that the whole of the book, as we call it, epistle to the Hebrews, is a letter to a backsliding people. A people on the on the very edge of giving up and going back, or indecision, or they don't know what to do, and here the Holy Spirit, through the speaker writer that it is recorded, is encouraging them to continue in the way of faith, to continue in trusting in Christ and Christ alone. It's very human, isn't it? We, we, we can all identify that. We, we can all understand the great pressure there is to conform and to, to be just one of the crowd. Human beings by nature are herd animals. We're like the buffalo and the sheep. And that's why the Bible refers to Christians as sheep or goats. Because we enjoy being part of a crowd. We enjoy being part of a movement. I personally don't like football. I'm not a football kind of guy. My wife was disgusted by that. She understands. I don't really like team sports. I'm not a team player. That's sad to say. You know, uh, I end up hurting everybody on the field. Not just the the opponent. Teams. I, I much prefer combat sports. But there is something that I really do enjoy. It's being part of, a, of the spectating crowd. When I was in Bilbao many years ago, city in the north of Spain, in the Basque region of Spain, they have a football team there called Bilbao Athletic. Okay, very famous football team way back then. I don't know, but in, in Spain it was. And I remember driving past the uh, their stadium, and it was giant. Fifty something thousand people can be in that stadium one time. And I remember driving past as the home team scored a goal and the noise literally you could literally feel it through the through the car as you' were going past my apartment was two valleys Bilbao is a a city built in, the, in a mountain basin so it's on mountains and you go up and you go down and up and down very dramatic how the streets were and my apartment was two valleys across from the stadium. And yet, when the football team was playing at home match and they scored a goal or the, something happened and the, the spectating crowd, the 57,000 people in that stadium, when they reacted, the whole city shook. Uh, and then when you would see the people coming out of the stadium, there were crowds of them. The whole city just, just seemed like there was a, a, a river of people throughout the streets with their scarfs and their banners and their drums. They really enjoy their sport there. They get really into it. And there's something very attractive about that. That sort of camaraderie that we're all, we're all in this together. It's our team and we're CM sport uh, people and all that. And there's something very attractive about that. And even I who don't like football, was attracted. I thought to myself I could be a supporter just to be part of that. And so it, we understand, don't we, humanistically, that there is a part of us that always longs to be accepted, that always longs to be part of the greater. Even if you're a a lone wolf like me who just likes combat sports and doesn't like being part of teams, not good at teams, or sport team thingies, it's because I'm not athletic at all. Um, But there is still a longing. I'm a couch potato. I could be a a professional supporter, you know, TV supporter. My dad was an expert in football. He never kicked a ball in his life. But, you know, he would sit on on the sofa on a Saturday watching the Saturday afternoon football. And he could tell you every player on the team. He could tell you their record. He could tell you where they come from and where they're going. He could tell you their position. He was, you know, I find it dreadfully boring at that time, but in retrospect, very impressive. And he was an expert in football. But as far as my dad ever got was a, was a bag of crisps and a glass of beer. That was it, you know, and the TV control. And I'm so old, I remember the days when we didn't have a TV control and my dad had a son where he would say, go change the channel, go turn it up. There is something very attractive about that. And the Jewish Christians were feeling that pressure and the Holy Spirit through the speaker, writer, recorder is challenging them to come back to the way of faith. Not a way of of strength. Not a way of, of of personal, you know, like, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Not of, of just do it. You know that Nike thing? I hate that Nike thing which is just do it. That, that, that Nike. Where it is if
1: you can do anything
0: you want to do. Just do it. No, you can't do anything you want to do. You know? Brain surgery. I want to do brain surgery. You can't do brain surgery. Don't do brain surgery. You know? Rob a bank. You can't rob a bank. There's th- certain things in this life. You climb a mountain. You know, yeah, you know, you know. Climb Everest. You can't do it. There's certain things in this life that you just cannot do. Be an Olympic swimmer. Cannot do. I was telling Joel and Martin in the car this week when we were driving something the, about the... There was the... I don't know if you all saw it. There was in Helsinki... The ice skating championships of some sort. And at the opening gala for it, when all the ice skaters come out and demonstrate their great skills, Finland was represented by a 40-something-year-old transsexual man. He was 60, sorry. I thought he was 40. 60-something-year-old transsexual man who couldn't ice skate but had always wanted to be an ice skater all his whole life. He came out... And he began to skate and within 43 seconds he fell. And all the Americans that I know sent me messages going, Kyle, what's happening in your country? As if I have any authority of what happens in Finland, you know? That man had always wanted all his life to be an Olympic skater. He'd He'd wanted all his life to represent Finland in the ice skating world. And now he got his opportunity and his chance and he took it and he fell. He couldn't get up from the ice. Then another skater had to come and help him. He used the Finnish flag. Bit of a scandal. But it demonstrates to us that we can't always do what we want to do. It demonstrates to us that just because you have an urge to do something doesn't mean that you have the right to do it. Here in this text, The Holy Spirit is speaking directly to believers who are wavering. And he's giving them the evidence, the biblical evidence. He's looking back and saying, remember how it was from the very beginning. And in this first section of chapter 11, he gives us these three perfect examples of what faith looks like. Because he's telling them, you're saved by faith. You're accepted by God through faith. Again, remember, beloved, it's not about where you go when you die. It's about you in this life being declared righteous by God. It's you being able to have reconciliation and a restored relationship to God in this life. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking here and now. And he, he the... Speaker, writer, recorder, Holy Spirit is trying to give you a picture of what true and real faith looks like. And he uses, of course, the Bible. He doesn't just say, well, for me, faith is like a ballet dancer. Faith is like an elephant, you know. Whatever these foolishness. He says, let me show you from the biblical record what faith looks like in order that you might be encouraged. In order that you might carry on, that you might emulate, that is to copy and to carry on doing in this way. The very first one, of course, was Abel. An example of how we worship by faith. The one who is full of faith is a faithful worshipper and worships according to the standard and principle and pattern of the word of God. Doesn't make stuff up. Doesn't. You know, go out and into the forest and bang drums or some sort of imagination. Fly flags. I dislike flag waving. I know this is a bit of a tangent. Sarah's heard it about a million times. We were part of the charismatic movement. So is Julia. So is everybody I imagine. Wherever I preached in the olden days, flag wavers came on. I hate flag waving. Never do flag waving in church. And they would always fly the flag in front of me. People can testify. I think they just did it to annoy me. And they would run down the aisle with these flags and they worship. And then they would take out some sort of sheep horn thing. And it was an act of worship. I remember once I was preaching in a particular church. And this young woman got up and began to dance like Herodias' daughter. You know, like this kind of thing. And I had to excuse me, young lady, can you sit down, please? I'm about, I'm about to preach. Oh, I'm worshipping the Lord. Sit yourself down. I don't need to see some young woman twerking in the middle of the aisle. One who lives by faith. By faith is one who worships in the standard that God has given. By faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, by recognizing him, by walking in his ways and keeping his requirements, by doing what God has said. And of course, first and foremost, the, tr- first, the purest act of worship is believing that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the one sent by God as a substitute for your sins for your unrighteousness he is the one who pays your debt he took your place and that we find our safety and our refuge in him it is the recognizing that he is god's son he is god incarnate so the first example of course is abel we have this man who worshiped by faith and even in, to the point of death. It cost him his life, yet he continued to worship by faith. The second one is Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. And there we have an example of man who lived his life continually knowing God. He didn't do great deeds. What great deeds did, did Enoch do? Did he slay giants? Did he wrestle lions? Well, we don't know. Kyle doesn't say. But he's not known for these things. All he's known for is that he lived his life in a way that was pleasing to God. In my preacher's imagination, I don't see a, 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 a Jedi Knight. You know, I don't see this man who's going about slaying dragons and finishing quests. I see a man who lived his life quietly, conservatively. A, a man who simply lived constantly in the presence of God. Day and daily, believing and trusting. Enoch is not known for any great deed or for any mighty work. He walked with his God day and daily. There was a man who was in continual communion. He prayed. He knew God. He trusted. He lived in the presence of God, and in doing so, the Bible says was recognized as the friend of God. I I think that's encouraging. It encourages me. God doesn't need you to be great and mighty and powerful. God doesn't need you to be a. I know Paul isn't, and he would get Paul Washer. You know, or the 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 what we think of Paul Washer as this mighty man of God who climbs mountains and sleeps on trains going through mountains and you know the legend of Paul Washer. He hate if I say that, but it's tough tough, you know? God doesn't need you to be like that. He doesn't need the great deeds. When we have our our um Conference every year, we do the Bauger things. I know there are people who hate them, we love them, and for as long as I'm here, we'll always do them, God willing. Um, and we usually pick men of, of notoriety you know, men who have done stuff, men who have lived lives that could go, Wow, that's a bit legendary. William Carey, whoever else we've done, Spurgeon, or whoever else we've done. And we think, wow, look at those great days. Look as... But the real heroes of the kingdom are men you and I have never heard of. Men and women, let me say. People of faith that you and I have never heard of. Uh, there is a history of revival. And in Scotland, there's a chain of islands called the Islands of Lewis. And during that, in the 1950s, they had a, a it was called a revival, an outbreak of religion. People began to believe in God. They converted from unbelief to belief, and it swept through the whole island chain. And of course, there was uh, the minister who was used during that campaign was a man called Duncan Campbell. And we all think, wow, Duncan Campbell preaching like amazing. But Duncan Campbell himself confessed that it wasn't because of him. Of course, we would say, of course, yes, hallelujah, amen. It was God, the Holy Spirit who was there in power. But Duncan Campbell pointed to two old ladies who were infirmed. And were they, they didn't leave their little cabin. Not cabin, it's a crofter's cottage. It's a, like a little stone house with thatched roof. And one was blind and the other one was slightly deaf. You know, one couldn't see, one couldn't hear. And they would sit in their chairs in front of the turf fire and they would pray day and day and they would read the scriptures in Gaelic. And they interceded for their island and for their islands for years. And there the local minister actually came to them and he was sitting with them and, and they would minister to the local minister, you know, as old ladies do. And they said, there's a man on the mainland that I've heard of. His name is Duncan Campbell. You should go and get him. The minister was like, I don't know. I don't, don't know. And like, no, 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 you'll have to go and get him. And so he goes and says, we would invite him. and invite him, and Duncan Camel comes, and as he arrives on the island that night, revival breaks out. And uh, they go to these old ladies, I can't remember the details, but I remember they, they go to these older ladies, and they say to them, how did you know? And they said, the secret of the Lord is with those who know him. They had spent so much time in the presence of God that literally God motivated them, moved them. It's not like he gave a word of knowledge or prophecy or... No, they were just moved by the Spirit of God. And again, they continued. Beloved, you and I, like worldly people that we are, our eyes are always affixed to those who are in the news, don't we? Those who are celebrities within the kingdom. The names... Who will we get to come to our conference this year? Well, we have to have a, a celebrity, or people won't come. But in the kingdom of God, the true celebrities of our kingdom are those who are not seen. They're those who are consistent in their faith. They don't—they're not like little moths who fly to the limelight. Who oh, know look at me, and they're drawn to to fame and fortune. There are those who are unseen, and I believe that Enoch was one of those men. If you'd met Enoch in church, you would have thought, "Yeah, good man, righteous man," but you wouldn't have really taken notice of him. He was probably a one of I, I think of him as a you know a forest guy, a village guy, quiet in the background, and his wife just. going, Saying nothing, an outdoorsy kind of guy who who's just there and he's faithful, but he doesn't say much. He's not one of these at the front guys, small, fat, bald, and loud. In Enoch, we see the example of a life lived in faith, a man walking with his God in a constant and consistent form and fashion. He didn't give up nor give in. He carried on. And it was from the beginning until the end. And God took him. God removed him. Remember the flood was coming and God took him in order that he wouldn't experience judgment. Good example of of that which is to come, the taking up. And verse 6, he... The speaker, writer, recorder, Holy Spirit comments here that faith is needed to please God. Without faith, that is, recognizing that Jesus Christ is the Savior that is given for you on your behalf, that in Him, and Him alone are you safe. Without that faith, it's impossible to please God. That you are at a a constant state of enmity. That is warfare. You are the declared enemy of. Ukraine is in a constant state of enmity with Russia. They are at odds with one another. They are enemies. The Bible says without faith in your life, without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. The only way to come to peace is through the Lord Jesus Christ. To confess him as your Lord and your Saviour. To recognise your sin. To recognise that in yourself you are not able to please God. There is a gulf, an infinite space between you and God that you in yourself cannot cross. That your very presence is an offence to God. But the good news is, God knows this. The good news is that God acted when you could not act. And the gulf, the space, the gap between you two, where that you could never reach up, he reached down. When you could not make a way, God made a way. God gave his only begotten son. So, God so loved you, he gave his only begotten son. That you should not perish but have eternal life. Beloved, it is by faith we please God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it says here that that we must first believe that he exists. But also that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. For everyone who comes to him, he will never cast out. He will never throw away. He will never say no. No one has ever come to God and said help me. And God has said no. Never once in all of the millennia of years that have gone by. Everyone who's ever come. Lord, I don't have that much faith. The Bible says you don't need great faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. That's a seed as small as a salt corn. That's how much faith you need to please God. And God will always rescue. And then today, verse 7, by the faith of Noah. It says here, by faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, motivated by godly fear, built an art to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Truly, if Abel is an example of worshipping by faith. And if Enoch is an example of how we walk consistently in our faith. Noah is truly the example of what the works of faith look like. What does it mean? You say you have faith, well what does that look like? The story of Noah is in Genesis 6. We, we, We all kind of know it, don't we? It's there God speaks to Noah and warns him of the impending flood, warns him of the judgment that is to come. And says, build me an ark of gopher wood. Nobody really knows what gopher wood is. But he says, build me an ark of gopher wood. And it wasn't this cute little boat with giraffe heads sticking out. It was a massive construction. According to the biblical uh, schematics. It was as large as two, maybe three football pitches. If you've seen the, the, the biblical ark built in, in America at Ken Han's place. It's massive. It's giant. It's multi-storied. It's a big, giant barge. It looks like a square, big box. I always think it looks like a coffin, but that's just me, you know. Um, massive. The Bible says it took 120 years to construct. <coughs> faithfulness in our works. Here is God speaking to a man who has. The Bible says at that time. Rain was, was uncommon. Now, whether it was uncommon where he lived or it was uncommon in the world, we do not know. We do know that at certain times in the world, the climate has been different. During the ice age, maybe 10,000, 12,000 years ago, by using modern sciences, I do not know if those are true. But yeah, during the ice ages, all the water in the atmosphere was sucked into those glaciers. And the world was a, it's hard to believe, warmer because all the coldness is gathered in one place and drier place we know don't we living here in finland during winter time it's very dry my kids get dry hands dry skin people get eczema and stuff don't they because of the lack of moisture in the air why because all the moisture gets frozen in the air and falls to the ground and is snow And so there's a dryness in the air. Whether in Noah's time, because of the glacier free, had sucked up, he lived in an arid place, a dry place. It's thought, again, I don't know how they know this, that's, that Noah lived somewhere between the Euphrates and the Tigris, those giant rivers in Asia, Asia Minor. And in my again, my preacher's imagination, I don't see him living in a green place. I don't see him living in this lush, you know, all temperate California or Israel type place where there's lots of trees and stuff. In my mind, I see him living in an arid place, a plain, uh, like a not necessarily a desert, but a scrubland, dry like Arizona, where Tom and Linda live. That is a desert, I do know, but more, you know, cactuses and whatever else. If you look at the pictures of of Libya or Saudi Arabia, that kind of environment where it's very, very dry. And indeed, Noah lived in an area where there was no wide bodies of water. Where there was no storms, floods. And God says to him to build this. I'm going to destroy the world. Going to wipe Going to start again through you and your family. Build me a boat. I'll summon all the animals. We'll put them in it. And Noah says, "Okay, okay," and begins work. Can you imagine the neighbors of Noah? Here's Noah, and he's building not this little hobby boat. I mean, I know people who have boats. You know. And they're, they're, my estimate, somehow, have big boats. In comparison to Noah's boat, that's not a big boat. And here's Noah in the middle of the desert, or scrubland, dry, arid place, and he's building a boat. And they say, well, what are you doing? I'm building the boat. Okay. What's a boat? Oh, it's for talking to people who've probably never seen the sea or, or a great body of water. And, right, it's a bit big, isn't it? It's a bit big. Well, God's going to destroy the world. God's going to destroy the world. And all of a sudden, he becomes conspiracy theory, man. No other conspiracy theory. God's going to... I always think Noah is the original prepper. You know, I don't know if you, you know what a prepper is. You know, someone who's prepared for some sort of disaster. Noah's there harvesting and hamstering all of the bottled waters. And, you know, he has all, all of the dry foods and putting them aside. And all of a sudden, he goes from being something amusing, something awkward, and then something disturbing, as he is just constantly building this thing. You can imagine the the crowds that kind of form around him. You're know, like, that's weird. And then I can imagine people become so normalized to the madness of Noah that they say, you know what, that crazy old guy out there in the, in the desert building that stupid boat thing. I don't even know what a boat is. He says it goes on water. I mean, really? Can you think of that? Water falling from the sky? Madness. And they can't imagine. But even despite all of that opposition, even despite he himself never seeing a giant body of water that's going to be able to lift this multi-story boat up because God has said because God has revealed to him enough light that he's able to see what's coming and he believes that God is true and right he keeps doing what he's doing he is consistent in his works he is consistent in his building that ark and And through the building of the ark, whether he was, the Bible says in other places, he was a preacher of righteousness. Whether he's, people coming and he's telling them, preaching to them, warning them. And he keeps on going. Noah for me is a conundrum, uh, a challenge. Here we see a super successful man declared an heir, heir of righteousness. And yet his ministry How many people came to faith through Noah? I mean, he succeeded. He was successful in his ministry. But how many people came to faith? How many people were saved in Noah's day eight? Mr. and Mrs. Noah and the little Noahites, you know, his sons and their wives and all the animals and yet by him and in him you say well that was unacceptable and, and, and he failed or whatever you know like oh my goodness how disappointing and I, I can I can imagine that you know you're thinking Lord I'm doing all this and we're and we're saving the environment we're saving all the animals we care about animals Lord people I'd be like people Lord they're, yeah they're evil but you know God you can change a heart and yet by him and through him God saved the human race. God started again. By him and through him, God saved the human race, if you believe the Christian narrative. Which is really interesting. When I was looking this week about the, the flood myth or legend, every ancient society, every ancient culture has the flood legend myth Incorporated India has Manu, I think the guy's name is, I read. Where he built this giant wicker basket. And all the animals of the world came and rested in the wicker basket. And the floods came. even has the birds, he sends out the birds. I don't know if they use the, um, the doves and the, the ravens. But it sends out birds and they identify. The Eskimos, you know how to call them Eskimos. when I was young we called them Eskimos. Uh, the Inuit. The Inuit. Sounds too much like you Egypt and Ireland, but you know, the Inuit—they have a myth of—I can't remember the guy's name that they call. It, but he constructed a giant canoe, and all the animals, all the peoples of the world who rescued, went into the canoe, and they were saved through this massive flood. The Babylonians, the Samar- Samaritans, no, the Sumer- Sumerians, Sumerians, all have these, even African nations have this story. South Americans, the Mayans also had this great, myth of this great hero who built a, a giant raft and saved the people and then came to their land. And began again. This story can be found everywhere through the world, and it's amazing to think that that Noah's faith and his works are still remembered, even amongst the pagan nations who don't recognize God, even amongst the people who who have nothing to do with the Bible still remember the thing that happened. So it left such a huge scar in the mind. Of ancient peoples that they recorded it. Noah's works are remembered, and in Noah we see again a man who is known is recognized for the works of faith. Now, I am not telling you to go out and build a big gamble. okay? An ark? Yeah, it's not the case that your your works have to be mighty and giant and ark size. No. It's the consistency of his work. It took 120 years according to the biblical narrative. And in 120 years he was faithful in his work. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that those people who know their God shall be strong, mighty, bold and do great things. They shall accomplish stuff. They They will get stuff done. And here in Noah, we have the example of what a life lived in faith will be like. Your works, your faith works, not saved by works, not righteous because of your works, but your righteousness that comes by faith, then producing works of faith. Demonstrating your reliance, your trust in him. A great thing to notice about Noah was he was not focused upon this world and the time in which he lived. But his attention was on something that was future coming. He didn't live for the moment. He didn't look with the eye of man that said, well, what are we doing now that makes us famous or right? Or no. His focus was on a day that was coming. God has said that he will send a flood. When's that going to happen, Noah? Is it, is it today? When will that will? I don't know. But God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't believe you. And yet, that day came and the only people who were saved were Noah and his family. Beloved, the Bible says that God was, not God, that Noah was motivated by godly fear. True and real faith is motivated by godly fear. He knew who God was. And because he knew the character, the attributes, who God was, he was motivated by godly fear. That doesn't mean that he was frightened of God. Oh, God's going to beat me if I don't do this. But rather that it was a form of respect. Because God has said this, therefore I will do it. Loyalty, allegiance. He was motivated by the knowledge that God had told him to do something, therefore he was going to do it until it was done. He didn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to have a day off or a month off. He, wasn't, he didn't start it and then stop it and then start it and stop it. He continued. And that, that holy fear, again, I think respect. Think the recognising of the authority of another. Think loyalty from one person to another. He was moved by this and it motivated him and he got things done. And as Christians, we should be motivated by godly fear. I often think that we live in a fearless time. When you know, we, we have reduced God, Jesus, the divine, to our best friend. That nice uncle. Jesus is my girlfriend. You know, that he's like one of these super hipster kind of guys with cool hair and skinny jeans. who's uh, just awfully nice. And that we don't have this righteous, godly fear anymore towards God that we think we can sin and get away with it that we think we can live our lives any way we please and God can't touch me we no longer think of him as dangerous as a consuming fire i remember a time when don and i were talking to a young man a young Lester young man and we were talking and the man was, that young man was saying stuff about God that was not true. And Don put up his hand and said, but The Bible says, I am the Lord, I change it not. I am a jealous God. A consuming fire. And the young man kind of put up his hand back to Don and went, You just don't understand. That's the God of the Old Testament. That's not the God of the New Testament. And I always remember Don saying to the guy, Do you not remember Jesus cleansing the temple? Do you not remember when Jesus chased those people out with the the, the whip that he made of cords? Do you not remember the Bible in the the book of Reformation, not Reformation, Revelation? The book of Revelation, that great prophecy where he's called the Lion of Judah. When he comes back as the great conquering king and subjugates conquers the nations and the blood of his enemies rises so high to the bridle of the horse's head, figuratively speaking. I am the Lord, I changeth not. But sadly, that's the the generation we live in. And even we who are reformed, reforming Christians, even we who are biblical Christians, we can be influenced by standard of the world we're like the frog in the cooking pot you know, we all know that story don't we if you try i don't know why anyone would try and cook a frog apparently they taste nice i don't know it's not something i'm going to do you take a frog and you try and put it in boiling water the frog jumps out immediately because it's like i'm not going in that that's too hot but if you put a frog in cold water and begin to heat it up again i don't understand why people would do that people eat frogs in some places but you know You put a frog in the cold water, begin to heat it up, and gradually the frog is just like, oh, this is really nice. I'm enjoying this water. And before the frog knows it, he's cooked. You can eat frog's legs if that's what you want to do. Sadly, we Christians in our generation and the the people in this generation to whom the, the speaker, writer, recorder, Holy Spirit is speaking to, were like those people. They were being influenced without them knowing that they were being customized. I don't know if that's a word, but we say it is right now. They were being slowly transformed and changed into the likeness of their culture. They were being conditioned and intimidated and pressured and tempted and bribed to being like everybody else of so just going along with the crowd and of course because we are herd animals because we are the kind of creature that goes along with the crowd we like to fit in the majority of us like to fit in even the people who don't like to fit in they like to fit in they like the people, everyone to see them That's why we have Instagram. That's why we have Facebook and TikTok and all these other things. People like applaud and why we have likes and dislikes. Human beings need the approval of others. Holy Spirit is speaking to believers and he's warning them of the temptation to fit in. To just go with the flow. To say nothing, do nothing. Just give up. But the Bible demonstrates that Noah wasn't that kind of man. Christians are not supposed to be that kind of person. We are supposed to stand against our generation. There was a a Pentecostal pastor in an over the pastor. I'm not quite sure if it was that lady who went to Amy Carmichael or one of the it was one of the those people around that time from the Keswick conventions in the eighteen hundreds. And they had a vision. Oh a vision. I guess it's interesting to say. You know, they they tell a story of a dream or something that they had of um, where they were standing on, on a, a cliff overlooking a great Precipice, like a you know a big, big drop, and they saw all of humanity, all of the lost, all of the un, unchurched nations, heading blinded and in the dark, heading towards this cliff, and people were just falling off it endlessly, falling off into the, a lost eternity and in the fires of hell. And they said in that vision or vision that story. That as they looked carefully, they could see small lines of people holding hands, holding back the, the, the crowds of people falling over. And, uh, and as they looked, they, they went closer and they saw that it was Christians. Holding back, preaching and holding back. And as they were preaching and as they were reaching out, the people that they were touching, some of them began to see. And some of those who, who were awakened and saw the danger, they would come and hold hands. But then others would drift off. And in the sea of humanity, there were small islands. Again, it's just a dream. It's just a story told by someone at a missions conference in the 1800s. There was like small islands. And on those islands, there were people dressed in their Sunday best. Have you ever seen people in the 1800s and how they dressed? You know, the ladies were very, very elegant, weren't they? They had these long dresses and big hats and puffy shoulders, you know, and the corsets, and they were very particular. And she said, everyone was dressed in their Sunday best. The men looked like well-dressed Janney, you know, those kind of, Hats that they have, with their moustaches, and they were drinking tea and eating cucumber sandwiches, and they were having a wonderful time. And as they were standing and sitting around in their picnic, they were you know singing and talking about the things of God. As a lost humanity went over the edge. Now that story vision. Was told at mission conferences in order to, I was not necessarily manipulate, but motivate people into joining the missionary cause in the 1800s. That the world is lost and is going to hell, and the only chance it has is if Christians get up out of their safe congregations and go to the front and begin to minister, begin to preach. Now, again, it's just a story. Don't be saying Kyle is not giving visions or whatever else from the front. But there is something very motivating about that. There is something true about that. And as Christians, we are not to be those who are just in, in our little islands of, of uh, safety. But we are those who are to stand up and condemn the world through our works of Righteousness. We are to call them to accountability. We are to call them to faith. We are to be active. I cannot see. Noah wouldn't have ever got the the. Uh, that's. I don't think that you can say it. would never have never got. I don't know how I said it. He would have never finished his project if he hadn't have done it. You know what I mean? If he hadn't been working, if he didn't work, he wouldn't have got it done. Christians, we need to work to get things done. We can't just imagine that they're going to happen by themselves. God could have formed an ark and just dropped it from heaven and landed in the desert. And it would have happened. Sent angels to get it done. They would have probably done it better and, and quicker and with, for less money. But he didn't. He sent a man. And in this generation... You and I are called. We're called to be worshippers by faith. We're called to walk in our day and daily life in an intimate setting with God. That doesn't just simply mean before the eyes of men, but before the eyes of God. Our lives are to be lives lived before the eyes of God. You and I are to be the friend of God. That is his desire. That is his will. It's not that you are a stranger or a slight acquaintance but you're called to be the very friend of God. One who walks day and daily with him. Who knows him. Who is known by him in a familiar way. And also then your faith is to give birth to works. Works. Saving works. Noah's work wasn't just simply that he was building a Castle, a monument to himself, you know, on the side it said Noah's Ark. I don't think I don't think I big signs like Noah's Ark with a rainbow painted on the side, you know. Just don't believe that. I reckon the people of his generation all refer to it as Noah's Ark, you know, Noah's Ark over there. It's a slur and a slander. But Noah worked consistently, constantly. And you and I, your faith, beloved, is to give birth to works. God did not save you that you might just sit by and eat cucumber sandwiches, cheese and cucumber sandwiches and drink tea, although I do enjoy a good cup of tea. He saved you that you might serve him. That you might be active in your walk. That God might entrust you with responsibilities. And that you might be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in church. That you might be a condemnation and a warning to those who are lost and reject Christ. Beloved. Can you look at yourself? This is a difficult question because some of us are way too critical about ourselves. Look at ourselves and honestly say that our faith is like Abel's faith. We worship according to the pattern of the word. The Christ is our sacrifice and him and him alone do we hope. Can you look at your your own life and at your walk and say you walk like Enoch? day and daily, consistently, that you are familiar with God, not in an overly familiar way, buddy, pal, Lord, Lord, but rather that you are, you belong to him and he belongs to you. You're in right relationship and that you're in love with one another. I don't mean to sound romantic. I'm not being romantic. I mean real love. That you love him because you know what he's done for you. You love him because you know what he's doing for you. You love him because you know what he's going to do for you. Can you look at your life? And at your walk? Or have you been destabilized by this world? By the world of flesh and the devil, our our three great enemies that seek to keep us from the presence of God? To seek to make us doubt, our hearts to doubt and to drive us away. That overly critical voice that wants you to be so focused upon yourself that all you see is failure after failure after failure. And you forget that God knew you were failure even before you did. But still in his grace he deposited faith to you and gave you salvation Beloved, can we look at ourselves and think to ourselves, measure ourselves against the scale of Noah? That our faith is producing works, consistent works, works that have a purpose, that are moving the kingdom forward. Noah didn't waste his time doing things of, of you no, know, he, he he didn't. I believe that Noah was probably a very good carpenter. And I'm sure he built things of insignificance. I'm sure he built tables and chairs and all these other stuff. But God said to him, build me an ark of gopher wood. He didn't say build me a garage. Didn't say build me a barn. Didn't say build yourself a statue, Noah. Didn't say build yourself a bar, Noah's bar and grill or anything like this here, you know pay for the the work God told him what to do and he did it and he stayed faithful the Bible says for 120 years in the face of persecution in the face of pressure in the face of intimidation in the face of internal external difficulties he continued to be faithful remember this is a man who had never seen rain a man who had probably never seen a great body of water maybe a lake, maybe a pond Maybe a marsh, perhaps you know, but had never maybe seen a river, the Tigris or the but but had never the the idea of a body of water so great that it would lift this ark up off the plain or wherever he built it, and yet he believes God. God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Even if people ridiculed them and mocked them and and caused them to question, God said it would happen, it's going to happen. And you know what? The Bible says it happened. Human history says it's happened. Even today, scientists are beginning to wake up and and recognize that there was this uh, global cataclysmic event, you know? Modern scientists would begin to say around 12,000 years ago, comets hit the Earth somewhere in the northern America and Africa, caused a nuclear winter that happened for 500 years. They've done the ice core things and find these nano diamonds and all these other uh, um, evidences. God said that it would happen, and it happened, beloved. Let's examine ourselves. Let's examine our lives. This is not about whether you're worthy or unworthy. This is about God challenging you to be all that you can be. Remember, we used to talk about the potential Christian life. I haven't talked about that in a while. That you can be more than you are today. That there is hope as you are today. You don't have to be the way you are today. The Bible says that we are transformed from glory unto glory. If we were to look back and see all the victories that we have come through, all the difficulties that Christ has delivered us from, should we not have more faith that he is able to deliver us from all things? I also believe that these men Abel, Enoch, and Noah, as they grew in their relationship to God, they understood the extent of their failure, of their sin. It wasn't that they became more comfortable in their holiness. It was that the more closer they got to God, they recognized His purity and their defiledness and they were clinging to him in their faith not because they deserved it not because they were worthy because he is worthy he was condemned to the world and was declared righteous no is the first man in scripture to be declared righteous by faith the writer here is reminding us, the, the speaker, writer, recorder is reminding us, so has it been from the beginning and so shall it be until the day Christ returns. that all men are justified by faith. There is no other way to come to God. There is no other way to find peace. There is no other way to be safe in the life that is to come except by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us be confident. Let us be assured. For those of us who must make adjustments to our life. Ransack ourselves. It's always a good thing to constantly review your life. don't constantly pull things out. It's not a condemnation. It's a challenge. God offers you strength today. There is grace for you today. He's not asking you to be stronger or mighty or powerful. He's calling you to be faithful. Calling you to be dependent. It's calling you to abide in Him, to rest in Him, to recognize your unworthiness, and to be still in it. It's very difficult for us, isn't it? Very difficult to recognize our weakness and not try and do something about it. I can make myself stronger, God. I can make myself more worthy. I must be great. Oh, it's like you're not, and you won't, and you will never be. You are who you are. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, please help us. But we have looked at these three men, these three characters from the Old Testament, these examples of our faith, these types of Christ in themselves, but also examples to us. Challenges to us, Lord. Encouragements to us. Lord, help us. We desire to worship you. To live lives that are pleasing to you. To come to you in the blood of Christ. Knowing that we in ourselves have nothing that can please you. That all of our best deeds, all of our greatest efforts fail. That it is only you and you alone, Lord, who have made the sacrifice on our behalf that have undertaken for us. We are so grateful, Lord, that that which we could not do, that which we cannot do, that, Lord, which we would constantly mess up, you are there with your great love towards us. Lord, we think of, of Enoch. We thank you, Lord God, that we have an example there of a man who walked with you. And we know, Lord, that we can walk with you. That, Lord, you desire to walk with us, to live life with us, to know us, to be close to us, You're not a God who's far away and disinterested. You're not a God who's overly critical and sarcastic and cutting. But you're a God, a creator who desires to to know his creation. A father who loves his son. One who desires friendship with his people. Oh Lord, you are truly great. Lord, we thank you for the example of Noah knowing, O God, that we can be faithful in our lives, that our faith, Lord, can produce saving works, not for ourselves, but but for our family, for the people around us, for the people of our generation. Lord, even though we might not see the influence of it, though we might not see the effect of it, we know that from our small works, from our small effort, Lord, from the things that the world might say are foolish and stupid, and unnecessary and dumb. Lord we recognize that you can save the entire population of the planet. Oh please Lord. We pray you'd help us to have our eyes fixed on the day. And when you're returning to eternity Lord. When you'll come back and we will stand before you. And as Christians we will receive our reward Lord. Oh Lord help us to live in the reality Lord, of these examples of faith. Now, Father, we pray these things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.